All right, guys, here we go. Luke chapter 20. I have four things for you. They all come from the back half, verse 27 down to 44. Uh, I, quite frankly, don't think I did a very good job on the back half of the sermon. I think I was probably rushing because I knew the sermon was long and a number of you had questions. I want to help explain those to you. Remember, the big idea was chapter 20, verse 2. By what authority do you have to do these things? And Jesus goes on, Luke goes on to show that Jesus has authority over everybody that tries to rival him. That was the big idea. But in particular, let's answer this first one. When they give, the Sadducees give this scenario of a woman that marries seven different guys and they ask, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Remember, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They think this scenario proves that it can't be. And Jesus goes on to affirm the teaching of the resurrection. We'll come to that in a second. But in particular, Jesus goes on his answer to the Sadducees of this seven husband scenario of this woman. His answer is, you guys are all wrong uh, because there won't be marriage in heaven. Uh, And so therefore, your scenario doesn't work. Your scenario doesn't trump the teaching on the resurrection. But what is it in particular, as Jesus says in verse 36, uh, about the absence of death would indicate uh, that uh, there won't be any marriage in heaven. So when he, when he says the sons of this age are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage for or because they cannot die anymore. What is going on in Jesus's mind? Well, remember the context is to perpetuate the name of the dead in the Leverite marriage. So the reason why Jesus says, therefore, the implication is the reason why Jesus says that because there's no death, there won't be any marriage is because there won't be any need for husbands and wives to then have children. Since in the eschaton, in the final state, all of God's people will be there. There won't be and we will be there forever. We will be like angels going on forever. Uh, And so therefore, there won't be any need, since we're going to die, to have children to perpetuate the name into the next generation. Remember Genesis 1, 28. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the world. Fill the world with worshipers, image bearers. That doesn't need to happen in the final state, since there will be a totality of all of God's people that will live forever. And so the clear implication is, is that Jesus understands that marriage is a man and a woman coming together, and under the normal means of grace... In a broken world, we can't always expect life. But on the normal means of grace, a husband and a wife come together and they have children. Why? So as to perpetuate the name of God into the next generation. We don't have to worry about that in the final state since uh, all of God's people will be there and they will be there for forever. I have all kinds of other questions that now come in light of that. But that's what that's the relationship between why Jesus sees no death equals no marriage. So we won't need to be married to one another to have kids. Uh, We will be married to Christ in heaven in that sense. Uh, But the second thing that we see here is that they then, Jesus wants to positively teach about the resurrection next. He's answered the Sadducees' question about that crazy scenario. But now he wants to come in and answer that next question of positively teaching the resurrection. And he does so from maybe a passage we wouldn't expect him. Right? So again, looking at that passage, verse 37 but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed. So Jesus is saying, see, look, 
He's, he is in authority, and yet he's a man under the authority of the word. And he says Moses wrote it, and Moses taught this, and he gives the example of Exodus chapter 3. This is the burning bush, Moses talking to him, and he says in verse 37, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. And then the scribes and the teachers and the scribes answer, teacher, you have spoken well. So the scribes are like, yeah, he answered that question. We don't know about the Sadducees. They're probably still not convinced. But nevertheless, you and I probably read that and go, uh, how did he answer the teaching of the resurrection with that again? And so much of it has to do with uh, that little pronoun is in verse 38. So uh, look at look at verse 38. Now he is God. Now he is not the God of the dead, but in other words, he then is the God of the living for all live to him. All that live to him, live to him. And so since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are in the Lord, therefore they are of forever. So that word is, God is the God of the living, therefore Abraham and Isaac is, and Jacob is. So since God is a God of the living, since God is of eternity, I said yesterday that he gives the name Yahweh, I am, he always has been, in the manner in which he explains it is this notion of is. God has always been living, and therefore all in him are always living too. God always is, therefore those in him always is, is how I said it yesterday. So that's what Jesus is saying. So if you're in Christ, if you are in the Lord, therefore since he has been from forever, they are always of forever. They have not died. They keep going. And so the resurrection reveals that there's a day going to come when those that are currently living will be revealed in the uh, person and work of Christ and his first fruits of a bodily resurrection. So that's the second question. What about this third one? The Lord said to my Lord, my guess is this verse uh, is pretty confusing to you, and it is to me, and I probably hurried through it a little too fast yesterday in the sermon, because I was trying to wrap it up, and so let me show you, I'm going to bring out a whiteboard so you can see the verse. How does this work? What's Jesus teaching here? Well, here's what he's teaching. How does, the, how does Jesus get the Lord, the fact that he is the Lord, out of this verse? Well, as I said yesterday, we find that David, right? David is, first of all, the, is the author of, of this particular psalm. This psalm is Psalm 110, right here. And so Jesus says that David wrote Psalm 110, right, in the book of Psalms. That's what this is. And he references the fact that David himself wrote this. And we remember that there was a promise given to David that there would be a king that would sit on his throne forever. So that's the assumption that all the Jews already had. And so they already knew that the Christ, uh, that the Christ would be, that was in, actually I didn't write that up there, in verse 41, but he said to them, how can they say that the Christ, the Messiah, is David's son? So they already knew that David, the Christ, the Messiah, would be of the son of David, since David had the promise of a forever son on the throne. But Jesus is using that to say, you guys are thinking that he's just this biological son, which of course is true. But Jesus is asking a greater question. Uh, in what sense is the Christ, the Messiah, David's son? In what sense? They were only assuming biological. 
However, what they didn't understand was the nature of this Christ, namely that he was the Lord himself. And then he goes to Psalm 110 to make his point. And so remember what I said yesterday. David is writing this psalm, Psalm 110, and he is sitting. He's not in this verse anywhere other than writing it. And he references that there is a conversation between the Lord and the Lord. So David is a king, and there are these two greater lords that are having this conversation. All right? This would be uh, this would be the word here would be Yahweh. This would be the word Adonai. Alright? And Jesus, David is writing, he said, I'm a third party. There is this Yahweh, there's Yahweh, the Lord, is talking to Adonai, another Lord, and this other Lord, what's going to happen to him? Well, the Yahweh, the Father, the Father is saying to the Son that He is going to sit at the right hand of the Father, this uh, this other Lord, which we know is Jesus, until I make your enemies your footstool. This is the most quoted verse in the New Testament from the Old Testament. The clear teaching is, is the Father is saying to the Son, you're going to sit at my right hand until uh, I make all of your enemies your footstool, which is what we're in the age we're waiting for now. Uh, God is making all of Jesus' enemies, he's making him his footstool until he finally returns. And they will all be done. But nevertheless, the way that Jesus, the way that David gets the teaching of the Trinity out of this is he sees as a third party, there's the Father speaking to the Son. And so therefore, this brings Jesus to his conclusion. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? So Jesus is not trying to say that he's not the son of David. He's trying to say that he is the eternal son of David. In other words, he's saying, yes, I'm a biological son of David, but there's a greater sense in which I am his son. I am the eternal son. I am before him. I am above him. Since I, since he was writing of his other Lord, Jesus is saying, this right here is me. I'm this one that David wrote about. And I'm the one that's going to sit at the right hand of the Father. And I'm the one that the Father is now making all of his enemies footstool. So that's where Jesus says. So the question, uh, David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? Jesus is saying he's not his son in the sense that uh, he is his biological son. Like he is that, but he's more than that. He's the Lord himself. So Jesus is trying to draw attention to that piece of the argument. All right? So that's how we get that. When you understand that David is a third-party listener, and, it's, and then secondly, he's listening to a conversation between one Lord to another Lord, and that other Lord is Jesus, uh, who's going to make a, who's going to sit at the right hand of the Father, we can then see Jesus is making a simple point that the Son of David, the theological Son of David, is the eternal Lord Himself, Jesus, the Son of God, the beloved Son, that now sits at the right hand as the Lord is making all of his enemies is supposed to. All right? That leads us then to the last question here, the greater condemnation. Uh, Jesus then references, uh, in the hearing of all his disciples, all of the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes. And then he talks about these religious leaders that are basically going around teaching and acting like they get all the glory. And because of the way that they act, because of the way that they use the, their authority to bring attention to themselves, glory to themselves, not glory to God, not, as I said, give, but they were trying to get from everybody. The Lord says there in verse 47, they will receive the greater condemnation. 
So you might be asking, well, Nathan, does that mean that there are some that will get lesser condemnation? They'll still be condemned. They will still go to hell, but there'll be others in hell that will get a greater condemnation. Well, the clear answer to that, I think, is yes. I think the clear answer to that is yes. So we get it in another passage. You remember, Jesus says that it will be worse for Sodom than it will. It'll be worse for Tyre and Sidon than it will be for you, O Israel. Right? So in other words, there's these other teachings in the Bible wherein there are these lesser and greater argumentations. Uh, there are going to be people in hell that will get it worse because of their life here. Uh, and what the, the way in which they use their authority, the way that they abuse that authority. Uh, and so that's what Jesus is clearly teaching in that passage. Uh, you might ask the question, well, what about heaven? Does that work for heaven? Uh, well, you'll have to talk to me about that offline. Uh, but I have an opinion about that too. But nevertheless, we see here... We won't be any death in heaven, therefore no marriage, because all the kids will be there. We won't need to be having kids. God is the God of the living. He is the God of the living, therefore in Him they all is, and we will is in eternal heaven with resurrected bodies upon Jesus' return. And then third, Lord said to my Lord, Jesus is the Lord. He sits at the right hand of the Father. David was writing about that Lord, and so David's son is greater than David. He is the Lord, and finally there is degrees, we might say, of hell. It'll be, it'll be hell for all of them, uh, but it'll be worse for some of them based on their life here. Uh, and all of this reminds us of the authority of Christ. These are big ideas, and brothers and sisters, give your life to Him. Submit to His authority that you might know His kingdom and enjoy Him in His kingdom, in the new heavens and earth, in resurrected bodies, in a resurrected earth, worshiping a resurrected Savior forever in that state. And yes, even though if you are married, you won't be married to your spouse, you will be married to a better one, and that will be Jesus, and you will not be disappointed, I promise. Hope you enjoyed this. Hopefully this is more helpful and rounded out what I didn't teach us maybe clearly on so.